Right, well, when I was a freshman in high school, I had this deep desire to be a part of the, the high school flag football team. And I really, really wanted to be on the team. The interesting thing was is that I didn't really like football. And I didn't really care very much for team sports, but I had a real desire to be on this team, and I'll tell you a little bit why. Um, my chances of getting on that team, first of all, were actually pretty good because I went to a small Seventh-day Adventist school, a little bit bigger than Rogue Valley Adventist Academy. And so I had a pretty good chance of, of getting on the team because there just weren't a lot of guys in the school. But I also had a pretty, pretty substantial obstacle in the way, and that was the fact that I was five feet tall and about 80 pounds my freshman year. Yeah, which is, which is probably why I really wanted to get on the team. You see, as, as you might imagine, someone who has the body of 11-year-old but is in high school um, it, it had some insecurity issues. I did, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I wanted people to cheer for me. I wanted people to, you know, I wanted the girls to notice me. I wanted to be sought after, desired as a, as a friend, as, as part of the in crowd. I, I, I wanted all that, and I didn't think that I was getting that. Um, I didn't feel like I was an okay person to be around. And so I felt like if I could be on the football team, that then I would be an okay person that then, you know, then people would cheer for me, then, then girls would notice me, then I would want to, people would want to invite me to their parties and stuff like that. And, uh, and so I tried really hard. Um, I found, found out that the, the tryouts were going to be on a certain day, showed up, and I just gave it my best and hoped for the best. And a few days later, they posted the list, and I can distinctly remember just being a little guy going up and, and seeing the list on the wall there in the school and going down that roster. And I found my name on the list. And in that moment, I felt like just maybe I was an okay person. I'd made it on the team. Somebody had seen talent and ability in me, and wow, you know, people are going to cheer, and it's going to be great. But that moment didn't last very long, because I soon realized I was probably the worst player on the team. <laughs> and then the next thought that came into my, into my mind was, well, maybe I'll be okay if I could be on the starting squad. Or maybe I'll be okay if I'm one of the better players. Well, I never was able to achieve that. But even if I could have achieved it, even if I could have been the best player on the team, how long would that have lasted? I mean, there's always going to be someone better out there. And if my feeling of being, or my assurance of being okay is grounded in what I can do, it's going to be temporary. And so, for a lot of my life, I spent a lot of time and energy trying to prove that I'm okay or trying to, um, trying to make myself feel okay. That's, this is an important question to answer. This is a really important question for all of us to answer is, are we okay? Right? Because if we do not know that we are okay, if we cannot establish that, if we don't know for sure that we're okay, then we're never going to have peace. It's a really important question. It's, it's why people worry, because they're not okay. It's why people are irritated at other people, because we're not okay. It's why things don't happen fast enough for us, and we're just uncomfortable all the time. It's because we're not okay. So being able to, to say that we're okay, that's, that's a really important thing for us to establish. The problem is... <clears throat> 
The problem is, is this question will never be settled long-term by us. Like, there's nothing that you can do to settle it forever that you were okay, so that no matter what the circumstances are, you will not be unbothered. You, you know, you'll be okay. You'll, you'll, you'll be unbothered, I mean. There's nothing that you can do to ensure that, that you're always going to have peace. If, if our okayness, if I can use that as a term, is, is dependent upon what we do, we might be able to arrange our circumstances sufficiently so that we can be okay temporarily, but once those circumstances change, then we're no longer okay. Well, thankfully, God has figured out a way to settle this question forever, that you and I are okay. And he has done that by becoming a human being in the person of Jesus. For the weeks, the Sabbaths leading up to Christmas, we are going to be in a just dealing with this theme of God incarnate. God, as, as we've heard about in the, in the special music and as we've sung about, God becoming a human being, becoming flesh. God incarnate, that's what that means, becoming flesh, becoming uh, human. We're going to be looking at that, and it's very interesting that the Bible has some significant things to say about this, and yet the Bible doesn't say very much as to how God pulled this off. How was it that God somehow made a virgin named Mary pregnant. How did that happen? The Bible doesn't explain that question very well, at least. It gives some hints as to how that happened, but we don't really know a whole lot. How how is it that, that Jesus could be fully God and fully human? I mean, there have been lots and lots of debates for years. People have lost friendships over these things. The Bible doesn't really give clear explanations on this stuff, but what the Bible does do is it tells us how the incarnation of Christ, how God becoming a human in the person of Jesus, how that affects us and how that changes everything for us. So I'd like to, to take a look at that um, starting, starting today. And I'm really grateful because the Bible teaching is this. No matter what our deficiencies are, no matter how weak we might be, no matter how prone we might be to, to doing and saying and, and thinking bad things, no matter what our problems are, what our issues are, because of Christ, because of his incarnation, we can be okay. That's the title of the message, is that we're okay. (laughs) I hope you hear that loud and clear this morning. But before we get into the Bible teaching, I want to just pause and ask for God's presence to guide us into truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've promised it. You've promised us your spirit to guide us into all truth. And you say that when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Lord, we want to be okay. You know how unsettled the human heart is. You know how sin messes things up. And so I pray that you would speak to us now that we hear you speak words of life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be looking at this passage in the Bible, John chapter 1, particularly verse 14. If you'd like to be moving there, John chapter 1, verse 14. If you want to look at it in the Pew Bible, it's page 1062. We'd love to have you uh, join me here in just a moment as we read that. As you're going there, I just want to make the observation that before Jesus' birth, if you were to look at, if you go back in time and look at the conditions, look at the situation, look at what was happening in the lives of Israel, in the lives of God's chosen people, it may have seemed 
that God was very far away. Very far away. They had this wonderful history of God providing for them the promised land, God showing up in some really big ways, miracles, prophets who came and and spoke powerfully for God. They, They had this wonderful history. David, King David, King Solomon, this was a time when Israel was at peace. They didn't have to worry about other countries coming and invading them. In fact, the countries surrounding them during that time, they were paying Israel tribute. Things were really, really good. God was obviously working on behalf of his people, but over time, that changed. They turned their back on God. They, they sinned. They worshiped other idols. And by the time we, we get to the first century, we see that things are really bad for God's people. They're under the cruel Roman authority. They're heavily taxed. They've lost their liberties, their independence. They no longer have control over their land. Things are not okay. Not only that, politically speaking, but also in a spiritual sense, there's some real questions as to where is God? It had been 400 years. By the time Jesus shows up, it had been 400 years since they had heard a prophetic message of encouragement and hope. Where was God? He seemed to be very, very far away. It was a dark time. But during this really dark time, God shows that he's close. In fact, he could not have been any closer. Listen to what it says in First John, or sorry, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. It says that the Word became flesh, and made, he became a human, in other words, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This is how God shows up in this dark moment in earth's history. He comes as a human being. It says that he did not keep his distance. He didn't just come down. Jesus didn't come here and observe how things were going from a distance. He didn't stay away from crowds. He didn't avoid avoid closeness with difficult situations. It says that he entered into the human race. He didn't just come as a visitor. He came permanently as a human being. He was made flesh. And we see this later on when Jesus is resurrected. He's resurrected as a human being. When he's when, when the resurrected Christ is viewed in, in vision or, or it shows up on this earth, he's, he comes as a human being. The scars, will, he, he continues to bear. He's, he's, commi- he's that committed to us. He's that close to us that he would become one of us. It says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. Now, generally speaking, when people go looking for a home, they look for the nicest home that they can find, Right? People will go to, to speak to a, the bank and, and they'll, they'll find out, now, what, what is the most amount of money that I can borrow to buy the nicest home that I can possibly get? 
That's often the consideration. What is, what is the nicest place? And to ensure that we have the nicest home possible, we will even hire people called realtors who can go out and investigate and look at all the potential properties and help us strategize so that we can get the nicest home possible. Why? Because we want to live in a home where we can feel okay, right? The nicest place possible, the best neighbors possible, the nicest neighborhood. That, that's going to help us be be able to thrive and make memories and, and, and enjoy ourselves there. Well, when Jesus chose to make his dwelling with us and made his home in flesh, he couldn't have chosen a worse location. Our flesh is not a comfortable place to be. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh lacks so much. We get irritated we're tempted to do bad things. We get stressed out. This is not a comfortable place to be. And Jesus chose to make his home in human flesh. It says his, he made his dwelling among us. Now, when John wrote these words, he was writing to people who, when they heard this statement, it would have sparked in their minds understandings from the past. When John said he made his dwelling among us, the Greek word that he used literally would, could be translated like this, that he tabernacled or he pitched his tent with us. That phrase, made his dwelling, that's how it could literally be translated. And it recalls their minds and, and it, it directs our attention back to the Old Testament, back to a time when God had delivered his people from, from slavery in Egypt. They were not okay there. He, he delivered them out of, out, of, out of Egyptian bondage. And he said to them this, have them make me a sanctuary or a tabernacle. Have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. It's the same language. The Exodus story tells us that God was, he appeared visibly to the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. All they had to do was look up in the sky and they could see the visible presence of God. It was a pillar of cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night. That cloud and that pillar of fire watched over them. It led them. If they didn't know where to go, all they had to do was look up, and if the cloud was not moving, oh, okay, it's time to stay. When the cloud was moving, okay, it's time to go. And as long as they followed that cloud, they were okay. That cloud led them to the shores of the Red Sea, and the army of Egypt came after them. They, were, they wanted to bring them back. They were going to hurt them. They, they, they got scared. They didn't know what to do. They had followed this cloud. What were we supposed to do? And it was that cloud that moved all of a sudden between the camp of Israel and the army of Egypt that was coming towards them. And it, and it positioned itself between Israel and Egypt. The Egyptians saw darkness, and that cloud was so formidable that they could not press through it. And it allowed the people of Israel time and light to be able to cross the Red Sea. Following this cloud, they had nothing to worry about. And when Moses followed the instructions of God as to how they should build this sanctuary, and they finally completed it, here's kind of a representation there that you can see up on the screen. When they finally completed it, there was a prayer of dedication, and that pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire, dropped down into 
the sanctuary, into that tent, really. It's a simple-looking tent. Dropped down into that tent and made its dwelling in this tent that looked very ordinary. When John says that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling with us, it recalls this imagery of Almighty God living in a brown tent, a small tent. It wasn't really that big, and from the outside it looked very plain. And Jesus comes to this earth as an ordinary man, looking very plain on the outside. Had you passed by Jesus, not knowing who he was, you probably would not have given him a second look. Ordinary looking. Jesus came and made his dwelling with us. He pitched his tent with us. And when he was, in, in here in the, the Exodus story, when, when God came and he lived in this tent, in this sanctuary, it's very significant. You can kind of see it here in the picture that the sanctuary was in the center of the entire camp. All of the tents and all the tribes and their divisions were all pitched around the sanctuary. In other words, the sanctuary, the dwelling place of God, was the focal point. It was the center. It was the hub around which the life of Israel in the wilderness revolved. And if they had any need, if they needed to know which way to go, if they needed wisdom or insight on a legal issue, if they needed forgiveness, whatever it was that they needed, they, all they had to do was turn to God. He was right there. He was in the middle of their community. And as long as God was in the middle of their community, they lacked nothing. They had the water that they needed. They had the food they needed. They did not have to worry about wild animals coming in and, and ravaging the camp. They didn't have to worry about foreign nations coming in. As long as God was there, God Almighty, there in their midst, they had nothing to worry about. They were okay. Today we might think, man, wouldn't it be nice to have in our church the visible presence of God? Wouldn't that be wonderful to, to need to know what you, what, what course you should study in school, what, what degree you should go after, and you could make an inquiry of God, and, and there is the urim and the thummim, and, and you could get a, an answer immediately from God. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If you had some question about which, we, we as a congregation, what, what, what should we be about here in ministry? How should we impact our local community, and, and we could just go and turn our attention? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And yet, what we're reading here in John 1.14 is literally telling us that just as God was with Israel, just as he was in the center of their camp and everything was okay because he was there in their midst, in the same way, God is with us in the life of Jesus. God dwelt in the person of Jesus, fully God. The word, the living word of God, and, and I, I didn't mention this, but in John chapter 1, the Word, in verse 1, the Word is God. The Word is the one that created everything. And this Word of God, Jesus himself, becomes flesh. He, he is with us. God is with us in Jesus. And if God is with us, then we are okay. 
A few years back, I met a colleague of mine uh, for some Indian food for lunch. And he is from India, and so he, he recommended, he's like, hey, I have a really nice, uh, actually, it's, it's going to be a little bit different experience for you, Brian, is what he told me. Um, but the food is good. The food is good. And he gave me the address. I pulled up in front of, the, it was in a strip mall, and I pulled up in the, into the parking lot, and I looked at the front of this store, and I could tell that it was Indian, but I couldn't tell that it was a restaurant. And so I got out of the car and went, went inside to meet him, and, and after entering the doors of this storefront um, I, and, and looking around, it still didn't look like a restaurant. I mean, I could see some baked goods off, uh, off in the corner there. They had some Indian desserts, and there were sh- but there were shelves full of all kinds of different products, Indian products, or food products, but there was also, like, I don't know, all kinds of different things. Um, on, and and it, was, it was basically a market there. And so I met him there, but off to the side, kind of in an obscure, there was this, like, this little obscure entrance. Off to the side, the wall ended, and then there was this curtain, this heavy curtain, and then the wall continued. So I could tell that there was, it was some kind of an entrance, but there were no signs or anything like that. And he's like, come with me. And he entered, he, he walked through this curtain, and so I followed him. And as we went through this curtain, it was as if I entered a foreign country. <laughs> it opened up into this room, and it was a cafeteria-type seating situation. And inside of this room, they were people who I looked very different from. These guys had turbans on, and they had long beards, and they had these these elegant flowing garments, and they were sitting together, and they were eating, and as I walked in, I'm the only one with light skin, okay? As I walked into this room, I felt everyone's eyes just kind of turn towards me. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, and it was full of this aromatic, wonderful Indian food, and, and, but everyone is, everyone, I could, I could feel it, that people were looking at me. We sat down, and we enjoyed this wonderful meal, and I felt okay being there because I was with my dark-skinned Indian colleague friend. <laughs> he, he had brought me there, and, and I was with him. And I can tell you for sure that had he not been there, I would not have felt okay in that restaurant. I, I, I couldn't have enjoyed the food, I don't think. I would, I would have either got it to go, or I would have eaten it quickly, and it would have been really uncomfortable. I just, I just didn't feel okay there. But because I was with him, I felt like, oh, okay, it, it's all right. It's all right. I, I don't have to be a local here. I'm, I'm with my friend. On our own, we cannot be okay in God's presence. On our own, we just don't belong there. We're sinners. We, we don't deserve to be in the presence of Almighty God. We're not good enough. We, we, we've sinned. And even if we were perfect, it still would be questionable because the angels, the, the angels that excel in strength, we read about them in the Christmas story. These are the angels, the ones that show up to the shepherds, and the shepherds are terrified. You'll look about, you read through the Bible, whenever God's angels show up to, to, to talk to people, even people who are following God, often the human response is to fall face down in terror. And the angels having to comfort them and say, do not be afraid. You often hear the angels saying that. These angels that are powerful, that are mighty, that have never sinned, when they are in the presence of God, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 6 that they cover their faces 
This is what it's like to be in the presence of God? What chance do human beings have to be in the presence of God? Well, here it is. In the life of Christ, we can be at home in God's presence. Because God clothed himself with humanity and provided a way for God to be accessible by people who do not deserve him. We can be in God's presence because of Jesus, but how do we benefit from God's presence? How do we take him in? How do we receive him? How do we enter into relationship with him? How does this happen? I'd like to address that question. In, in, in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it, it addresses that. It tells us how we can be a recipient of God, how we can receive him. John says that we have seen his glory. It's by beholding the glory of God. Now for us, as we look at that word glory, if you're anything like me, um, my initial experiences with this word were just like, is this just kind of a nice religious word? What, what, what does that mean? But again, for John's audience, they knew, they, they had some they had some connections in their thinking with the word glory. And it goes back again to the story of Exodus. So in Exodus chapter 33, Moses made a, a unique request of God. Moses goes to God and he says, God, please show me your glory. And so God says, I want you to come up on Mount Sinai. And there, God's presence descended upon Mount Sinai. It was a cloud, and there was thunder, and there was lightning, and it was just this ominous, powerful presence. And God calls Moses up to the top of Mount Sinai. Moses, full, uh, it's so courageous, Moses goes up into this cloud. And the Bible tells us that as Moses enters this cloud and comes into the presence of God, that God comes and he stands next to him and he says, okay, Moses, I am going to now show you my glory. Notice what the glory of God is. Exodus 34, verse 6. He says, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, listen to it, the compassionate and gracious God. He gives us what we don't deserve, the good things we don't deserve. He's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That means having love and faithfulness that does not end. This is what God says to Moses. Notice that God does not say, look at the cloud, look at the lightning, feel the thunder. This is a spectacular manifestation of God. There were so many incredible things that, that could have attracted Moses' eyes. And, and God could have said, this is my glory. Feel the earth shake. I touch the mountains and they smoke. This is my glory. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't point Moses' attention to the spectacular things that were happening all around him. He points Moses' attention to his love and to his faithfulness. It's to the character of God. This is the glory of God. And very significantly, that phrase, abounding in love and faithfulness, it could also be translated as full of grace and truth. The exact same words we find in John 1.14. This is the glory of God. It's his love. It's his faithfulness. And when we spend time in the presence of a loving God, a faithful God who's 
who does not end in these, in these attributes. His love and his faithfulness does not come to an end. It continues on. When we spend time in his presence, we are changed. Moses, what happened to Moses? <laughs> After spending time in God's presence, the Bible says that he came down off of the mountain and that his face was shining. And his face was so brilliant that it hurt people's eyes. They said, please, put a veil over your face, Moses. If you're going to talk to us after spending time with God, please, we, we cannot see your, the, the full reflection of God's glory coming off of your face. It's just radiating. So they asked him to please put a veil over his face. Moses was changed by being in the glorious presence of God. That's what happens when we behold God's glory. It changes us. Unfortunately, many people did not see it when Jesus was on this earth, and today many people still do not see it. It's possible for God's glory to be fully manifested to us and we not see it. Just like the tent, you could have walked past the tent in Israel, in the middle of the camp, where the, the tabernacle tent, even though Almighty God, the creator of everything, was living in that tent. You could have walked past it and missed it if you didn't know what was going on there. It's a very simple facade, simple, ordinary-looking tent. In the same way, Jesus was a very ordinary-looking man. And yet, some people saw it. That's why John was able to say, we have seen his glory. And the reason why John and others were able to see his glory is because they looked a little differently. The Greek word translated have seen is the same word that is used to describe people watching in a theater. Now, these are our theaters. They didn't have theaters like that back then, but they had theaters. It's the same word of people watching in a theater. If you take a quick glance, you're not going to get it. To watch the movie, you have to sit there, and you have to watch it, right? You have to be glued to it. And if it's a good movie, it's not hard to do. But this is what it's talking about when John says, we have seen his glory. It means that he, he took the time to behold the glory of God, to look beyond the normal, ordinary, simple facade of Jesus and see the glory of God that dwelt in this person called Jesus. He says, we have seen his glory. We have seen the love, the abounding love. We have seen the abounding faithfulness. We have beheld it, and it has changed us. This is what happens because God became flesh, because of God incarnate, because of Jesus, we are able to behold the glory of God. Please turn with me. I'm going to finish here. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It's page 1159 in your pew Bible. This is really amazing because as we look at the, the experience of Moses, Moses was the only one that went up on the mountain, right? He's the only one that came down with his face shining. And, and so we can look at that experience and say, wow, I don't know what that was like, but that must have been amazing. Moses, wow, this one person. And, and, and yet, as we look at what happens because of the incarnation, we see that Moses is not the only one who can behold his glory. In fact, the glory of God is now accessible to everyone. Listen to what it says. This experience that Moses had, in fact, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's talking about Moses' experience of having this glowing face and needing to put a veil over his face. That is exactly what it's talking about. And now in verse 18, it tells us how it relates to us It says, and we 
all, so glad it says that, we all, it's an inclusive statement, it includes everyone. It doesn't say just the people who go to church on Saturday, or just the people who have it all together, or just the people who are dealing with their character defects. No, it says we all, all are included in this. All can see it. We all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's, what? His glory, his faithfulness, his love towards us that never ends. As we contemplate this, something happens. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. The character of God develops more and more, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Spiritually speaking, we're not okay. We're not okay. We're attracted to choices that hurt us and hurt others. We are. Sin's attractive to us. Spiritually speaking, we're, we're not okay. We, we, we deal with stress. We get irritated over people who are annoying to us. We, we can suffer from hopelessness. We can lack motivation to do what's right. Spiritually speaking, we are not okay. We are lacking. But if we look to Jesus, God incarnate, his presence makes everything okay. Everything that we lack, he provides. He comes to us in the person of Jesus, and we can behold the glory of God, the radiant glory of God. And maybe our faces won't shine, but our life will shine. That's what matters more. Our character will be changed, transformed, the Bible says, into the glory of God. This glory that's manifested by unending faithfulness, unending love. Does that sound good to you? Would you like to just receive and just be flooded with love and faithfulness? Because of Jesus, we don't have to stop beholding it. Because of Jesus, he can be in the center of our world, just as the tabernacle was the center of the, of the camp of, children, of the children of Israel, the people of Israel in the wilderness. Jesus can be the center of our world. God can be with us because Jesus is God made flesh, dwelling with us, revealing the glory of God. If you're not okay with being not okay, if you're tired of being deficient, if, if, if you're tired of being stressed out and worried and, and just not having everything that you need, then I want to invite you to look to Jesus. I want to invite you to welcome him to the center of your life. I want to invite you to gaze upon his glory as you would watch a movie in the theater, not pulling your attention away, just soaking it in. And as you turn to him, you can have peace. It may not always feel good. I'm not talking about emotions here necessarily. Yeah, emotions follow. There's, there, it's part of it. It may not always feel good, but you can have peace in every circumstance, because God has it all covered. There is no situation that God does not know how to handle. And he comes to us. He says, come be at home with me. His love and his faithfulness have no end. And when you and I see this, then we're going to be okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, we are often so out of sorts we get ourselves into a mess. We're spiritually deficient. 
and yet you come and make your home with us. Thank you so much for becoming a human in Christ and for keeping that connection with us forever in him. God, I want to pray for myself and each one of my friends here, my family. I ask God that we would have the good sense to turn our attention fully to you and view your goodness as we would a movie that we're just all into. And may we be changed into your glory, the image in which you created us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.